Welcome to the Vancouver Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Drew O'Grizzik, and we're here with Ahmed Nasri of Tech Masters, all the way out from Toronto. What? Welcome to Vancouver. Thanks for being on the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Thank you for having me. There's a lot of very interesting stuff about you, I think, um, and maybe we'll have you introduce yourself a little bit more and your involvement with Tech Masters, what Tech Masters is, and how uh, you came to YVR Dev, and also some joint events that we might do. Yeah, so my name is Ahmed Nasri. I am the principal architect at TELUS Digital. Uh, TELUS is uh, probably a name that's very well known in Canada across the entire country. I don't need to, I don't need to explain what that is. Uh, TELUS Digital, though, is the uh, kind of uh, the way I like to position it is like the software arm of TELUS, or at least we are the, we're the part who can enable all the digital experiences that TELUS customers, whether business or consumers, are interacting with. Um, so it's a team between Toronto and Vancouver, and we actually have a very big presence in Vancouver, very heavy on APIs, front ends, back ends, kind of systems at scale, and digital experiences in general. And and of course, the same in Toronto. Uh, but I am based in Toronto, and I mostly have spent the past 12, 14 years in Toronto uh, working in the tech scene. Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, I, I'm heavily involved with a number of communities and a number of events, and mostly around the Toronto tech scene, but also globally as well, given previous kind of roles and lives that I've lived. So the, recently, I started uh, a group called Tech Masters, and Tech Masters has now grown to being over, by last count, 4,100 uh, technologists and developers and designers and people from all around the tech industry. Um, it is based in Slack for the most part. We are a virtual group. We're not tied into any geographic location per se. However, it is for sure Toronto heavy since it, I started it there. Uh, and yeah, we're a group of technologists and developers and designers, and we all work to help each other and help the community around us uh, improve the tech space and the industries that we're in. So what is the tech scene like in Toronto? I know uh, myself personally, I'm from Vancouver, I, I kind of grew up here. I spent some time living uh, in different countries, but I've never been to Toronto. And I hear a lot of interesting things. There seem to be a, a lot of jobs and sometimes companies moving to Toronto. Uh, what's it like? Yeah, so the Toronto tech scene actually has been very interesting. I, I've been in it, like I mentioned, for like the last 13, 14 years. Um, I remember in those days, back in the uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, if you ask people about the tech scene, they would probably point out at one thing or one entity or one company or a couple of companies and say, yeah, just talk to them. They'll tell you about it, right? And back then, we used to have demo camps and we used to have very small meetup groups. And people thought of the tech scene as those communities and those events, right? Like just a bunch of developers going out and having a drinks in a bar and talking about PHP and Ruby and those kind of things or .NET or whatever technology at the time was interesting. Um, and the kind of, there was not really any association with the economy around it or with the culture or with the businesses that are being formed out of these communities. But I think that, that small kind of, you know, grassroots initiatives started growing and you started seeing people who perhaps at some point started out a small meetup group, started building a business and experiences around what they were building and working on and started kind of recruiting people in and gravitating people around them. And then you start seeing more of the evolution of the Toronto tech scene that happened, uh, you know, pretty rapidly, I would say, uh, to what we have today. And what we have today, I think, is is also still not, you know, where it should be or where it needs to be, but probably the same story for multiple cities around Canada. 
Um, what we have today is a very rich scene. It's uh, it used to be very ho- uh, focused on services and very few kind of big businesses there, or very few kind of modern technology businesses there. Uh, but now it's actually there's a lot of modern businesses ha- technology happening there in the business form and kind of innovation form. Uh, we have uh, and I was actually talking about this at the Node Interactive conference today. Uh, there was a lot of people in Toronto, and there are a lot of people in Toronto now who are actually core contributors to some technologies and tools that we all rely on today. So there are people who work at Mozilla out of Toronto and they're like building the foundations of the web, right? There are people who work for Google and for Facebook and all these other companies. And we even have Canadian bred companies that are actually part of that ecosystem of foundational things that we all rely on. Like Shopify comes to mind in the Ruby world. They're pretty heavily active. Uh, I, you know, I hope to be influential in some places and kind of, you know, mentor a lot of people and help them kind of get into the open source world. But I'm starting to see the tech scene in Toronto no longer just being attached to businesses and startups, but also the innovation around the technologies that we all rely on. For someone from uh, Vancouver considering going to Toronto, I've often heard the other way around. You know, people come out here for um, for the mountains and for the ocean. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I don't really take advantage of the mountains and the ocean that often but i still like it i like the tech scene i like the i like the vibe i like the the things that are happening and i find that uh more and more as time goes by it becomes quite interesting and you, you get you get to see who's doing what um but what what would sort of capture the interest of someone uh with regards to toronto i would say the lifestyle is a little bit different um and i think people who who seek out the nature, seek out the kind of lifestyle choices are probably more mature in their decisions, uh, realizing where they are in life, that they want to actually do more of that. Uh, we did not have that historically in Toronto. It's probably a little bit of that, you know, uh, that you're mentioning in terms of what you hear from people saying, yeah, you don't get the lifestyle in Toronto. I think that's changing and that's changing rapidly. And it it had to change because of what I mentioned in terms of people who are living in the city and are part of these big businesses and they want to be a a, a positive impact on the communities and the groups that they're part of, uh, but they can't be that without having a good kind of role model. So this is where we, we're starting to have a better understanding of lifestyle here, which I think uh, the West Coast is very well known for, is that you come to the West Coast, you have a better lifestyle, you have a good life balance, right? Um, in Toronto, I think there is a little bit, uh, which, you know, this is my criticism, perhaps a little bit to cities like Vancouver and San Francisco, where I also worked for three and a half years. Uh, in Toronto, we have a little bit of that New York vibe of drive to get things and build things and get things done. And we're all kind of uh, outcome driven and objectives to to make positive impacts in the technologies and the spaces that we're in. Um, but not as heavily as like a, you know, a New York scene where, you know, the city that never sleeps kind of thing. No, we do go to sleep. It's, it's fine. We get, we get enough rest in Toronto. Uh, and I think the, the interesting thing that I started seeing in Toronto is, and I actually have, I have these conversations with people all the time who are coming from Europe and now coming from the U.S. given, you know, some of the political climate down there. There's a lot of people coming up, up to Toronto and Canada in general. And uh, they're asking me questions and like I see people in meetups and groups and they're like, oh, like there's so many things happening in Toronto. Where do we even start? So now we're starting to have the reverse problem that I mentioned from 10 years ago, where it was used to be a small tech groups, small scene to now there are so many activities and events and communities happening. Uh, it's a little bit overwhelming for people to pick where they want to go. But the good thing is you have choices and you have a lot of community support and a lot of uh, industry support as well. And whether you are a tech- technologist, whether you're a designer, whether you're a creative person, uh, to come to the city and actually be part of that community and make a positive impact on it. What would be some events or meetups that you would say uh, for any developer visiting Vancouver, uh, Toronto would be must attend? 
Um, so I would I would selfishly uh, you know plug the things that I'm involved in first. So I would say tech masters for sure. Uh, even though we're a technology group, we kind of keep all the technical conversations to the online forums and, and Slack channels. So when we do get together, it becomes more like a support social group, and we just go talk about our lives and you know how what, what do we do for fun. So we do have a monthly kind of uh, get together that Tech Masters does. There's also a group called Full Stack Toronto that does have. Uh, monthly meetups. We talk again in the context of full stack technologies and development. Uh, there's also conferences that happen. So Full Stack Toronto does host the Full Stack Conference, which by the way is happening in November. Probably get your tickets now. Um, and we also, we just hosted the Bifrost Conference talking about technology leadership. So helping folks who are in the kind of senior positions in the world they're in and the business they're in, but getting into more leadership positions and management position. How do you learn from others' experiences? That, um, that actually brings up a, yeah. a pretty interesting um, topic, I think we've had a little bit of discussion um, on the chat rooms and stuff about, you know, what is what is senior and kind of leading into, you know, what is leadership? What should that look like? And what's in a title? And and what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, so that's an interesting story that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of having internal an internal dialogue around that within, you know, the Telesigital team and trying to come up with a better approach to, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, progression of years of experience that uh, individuals go through. It's also about having mentorship skills and having leadership skills, which, you know, in a, in a typical kind of, uh, you know, big enterprise or organization, uh, it usually happens over years. We're talking 10 to 15 years where people start getting, you know, the old school way of I'm going to evolve in my role and I'm going to become a manager. And then 10 years after that, I'll become the next level and so on. But in the tech industry, as you know, it's it's way faster than that. You know, people who just got out of a coding program or a learn to code program of some sort, uh, they immediately get their hands dirty in publishing and building applications and services that are perhaps serving millions of people by joining a quick startup and building these things. And then all of a sudden, they got the burden of, you know, helping other team members come on board. And then that shifts into more of a leadership role. And then from there into a management role, these things are happening at a rapid fashion. And I don't think businesses are well structured to help provide that mentorship model and kind of helping individuals learn what that means, because the business itself has been around for one or two years, right? These startups are not long lasting startups um so that's where you know it becomes more of a community effort and that's the part that i think toronto is actually great at one of the things that we're all working on in toronto is like how do we actually make this kind of circle of mentorship and we help each other uh whether for me to learn something from somebody else who's been in my shoes before or for me to lend a hand to somebody else and you know perhaps getting to that management level getting to that senior level and what does mentorship mean as opposed to just management right now, is that something that you see as being unique to the tech world? It's something that um, I, I've definitely identified in tech. It seems like there are a lot of people who have, uh, you know, they, they live fairly comfortable lives. They have a lot of access to resources. But yet, it and it seems so rather than trying to compete with each other, people are really trying to help each other a lot. Um, do you see that with other industries as well? I don't know if you have experience with it. I sure don't have too much, but... I only have experience with other industries in the sense that I've probably interacted with them in a tech enablement function of some sort. Um, but I think it's the uniqueness of the tech world comes from the rapid uh, uh, speed that uh, the entire, entire industry is going through. So like I mentioned, like you get startups that are around for one to two years and they have 20, 30 million customers and applications that have to build to scale. And then next thing they're acquired by a big monolith co company or enterprise and they have to scale to that scale now. And 
the challenge is rapid as opposed to think of an old mining industry or a uh, you know a health industry or any any other industry that's out there they have a more of a relaxed pace in which they can say okay you know we have growth problems let's spend the next two and a half years figuring that out right whereas a tech team like you know ours for example currently or any other teams I was part of oh, we have a growth problem. We need to figure this out now. In the next week, if we don't figure this out, people are going to leave and they're not going to be happy, right? So I think that is the main difference. Other than that, actually, it's good that we have other industry examples to lean, on, to lean in and learn from because, hey, guess what? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are good stories that other you know businesses and industries that have been successful at growth that the tech industry has just not really been learning from as much. Principal Architect at TELUS Digital. Can you tell us a little more about what that entails? Sure. So uh, the the story of the TELUS Digital team predates my joining them. And it, it was, you know, it's a telecommunication business. I think everybody understands what that means. It's a big company with a lot of responsibilities, massive amount of infrastructure and engineering that goes into the kind of foundational things that a telecommunication business needs. Um, and as that evolved over time, uh, as I mentioned earlier, those are slower long-term investments. When you talk about rolling out fiber in BC, that's a 10, 15 year plan. That's not a, you know, few months plan and the software world as we kind of try to build things, right? So there's a good cadence there in how to approach big structural challenges for a telecommunication business, right? Um, but then what ended up kind of not getting the right attention or perhaps because of the way the tech industry moves so fast, uh, it kind of happened too fast for a big kind of organization such as Telus to, you know, pay the right attention to or keep uh, keep up with as fast, which is experiences and digital enablement and self-serving customers and helping people uh, get away from the model of you have to walk to a store and you have to call in a person to get the right level of support for the products and services that you're consuming. So this is what the Telus Digital Team mission is, is to basically digitize the enterprise or at least digitize the telco enterprise. Uh, and at least that's our, our context. Uh, but we lean in and, and lean heavily on experiences from other industries and other uh, businesses that are also uh, been in similar situations before. So we look at other companies and learn from their examples. We look at companies like Google. We look at companies like um, uh, Airbnb. We look at companies like Uber. We look at all these kind of innovative companies that are massive and are solving big problems, right? And we look at that and we say, and we have this kind of saying inside inside the team that uh, I don't know if if the podcast has a PG rating or not, but uh, I'm we typically go... try not to be explicit. But, sure, uh, we might make an exception for this one. Sure, I, I think the uh, we look at these big companies and we look at them as unicorns, right? Like they're they're the prime example of innovation. Netflix, Google, Airbnb, Uber—they're creating amazing things and challenging the way the entire world is functioning. So these are unicorns, and we look at ourselves and we're like, look, we're realistic about this. We're not going to be a unicorn. Uh, we're going to be like a horse compared to a unicorn. But guess what? We're going to be a majestic fucking horse. <laughs> so for us, what that means is we're going to take the best learnings and the best experiences from these kind of big innovation machines, and we're going to take that into our context and our world and look at, okay, how does a telecommunication business operate in a digital world? And whether that means a lot of focus on self-serving our customers through digital experiences that are tailored to today's generation of uh, users and uh, uh, devices that they have to interact with, or whether it means even internally the way we work and build technologies within our systems and architecture to update a little bit of the outdated uh, systems that we probably have been around for the last 10, 15 years to kind of bring it up to speed to today's standard. So we operate a lot between the digital world as well as the internal systems. And for my role, uh, 
I like to kind of summarize it in a very simple way. I say, you know, my responsibility is towards the technologists and the technology. And the technologists come first. And the reason for that is if uh, our belief is that if we create a great developer experience within our own teams and our own technology groups, then that great developer experience is going to accelerate and enable uh, the developers on the team to create the better digital experiences for the entire business. So what does a great developer experience look like? Good question. So uh, prior to joining Telus, I actually spent uh, three and a half years building developer products around APIs and microservices and uh, kind of living in that bleeding edge world of challenging the tools and technologies that we have to kind of produce better tooling for developers. Um, so I learned a lot of that. about uh, you know, I learned a lot about developer experiences from that world. Um, I think the primary lesson that I learned and I keep echoing it out to people now is that it's not about the features. Building great developer experience is never about features. It's never, never about how many checkboxes your product is going to do or your tool or your library or your framework. It's never about that. It's about how well your product works out of the box or perhaps, uh, you know, in the environment it's meant to be working in. Again, and, I'm, and I use the word product loosely here. I might refer to framework or tool or whatever it is or library. Uh, but most importantly, it's about our developers going to be happy and feel productive using the things that you're giving them. Um, and in our world, that translates to a lot of automation. So we, we focus on, we took, uh, you know, some legacy software technologies and systems that we've had, and we focused on uh, bringing innovation and uh, rapid development right into the middle of it. And the one way we can do that is by a lot of automation. So we have end-to-end -end automation on release process and tooling and everything along, along that. Why is that important? Uh, because humans don't scale, right? The, the one thing I, I actually repeat to people all the time is that I'm not web scale and I'm not supposed to be web scale and neither should you be, right? We can't scale a development practice. And I use the word practice uh, intentionally with humans, right? Um, I'd rather scale the practice in documentation in uh, role models and mentorship in in automation where automation makes sense rather than saying, oh, we have bottlenecks and we're not shipping things fast enough. Let's hire more people. Hiring more people is not going to make you faster. I'd like to ask a few questions about sort of the, um, the branching strategy and things like that. But before doing so, yeah. uh, can you tell us a little bit about the team composition? What's the size and structure? Sure. Uh, the Telus Digital team is about 300 strong. Uh, we're a big team. We're split, spread between Toronto and Vancouver. Uh, we have a few kind of remote locations here and there as well, but primarily it's Toronto and Vancouver. Uh, and we're always hiring, wink, wink, uh, nudge, nudge. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the way we organize ourselves is very much alike to the Spotify model, if, if the audience is familiar with that, uh, which is around tribes, guilds, and squads. So we, we basically have the lowest, the smallest unit of, uh, uh the smallest uh, unit in the teams are squads. And the squads are cross-functional teams that have all the skill sets and capacity to actually build something end-to-end. -end. They're fully enabled. They're fully empowered to go and create, design the experience, test the experience, build the experience, deploy the experience, and then iterate. So does that follow the typical two-pizza model? It follows the two, yeah, two-pizza team model. We typically like eight to um, six to eight people per squad, um, give or take. What would be the must-haves on a squad? Uh, must-have is technology leadership and design leadership. 
uh, and then uh, anything around that is becomes more about enablement, right? So uh, if the squad has to deal with a lot of stakeholders or de- deals with a lot of, you know, uh, checks and sign-offs, then, yeah, we're going to make sure that there's a product owner or a strategy leader there to help with getting those checkboxes so that the makers can go ahead and, and focus on what they need to do and get things done. Does each squad typically have a dedicated ops person? Uh, so we actually don't do ops. We don't have ops, and that's intentional by design. Uh, so uh, you know, it's it's still some, for some people, it's still hard to conceptualize how you can have a, a, a full three hundred people strong team without having uh, a focus on DevOps. Uh, and the way we've done that is again by automating things, right? So well, that might be the focus on DevOps, but exactly. You don't have a focus on ops. So it's yeah, exactly. So it's not so much about having again humans to scale with and like a, a person who is the cog in the machine. It's about having a practice of ops thinking. And for us, again, that means a lot of automation, a lot of tooling, a lot of standards, a lot of uh, you know ops practice that's embedded within the culture, as opposed to ops people and DevOps people who go and actually depend on them and you throw things over the wall and then they'll take care of it, right? So so would a developer uh, in a squad have the ability to push code into production and roll that code back? If, Absolutely. If Every single developer. And I, and I realize sometimes when I talk about these things in different contexts, people will be like, might find a problem to visualize how that how simple that is, but it's really simple. Once you have the right uh, support from the organization and our leaders have been very supportive in helping us set that up, uh, then yeah, you there are tools. Believe it or not, there are tools and products and services out there and standards that you can follow that you actually make it so that a developer who joined a team the very first day can push things to production and there's nothing going to be broken and there's full end-to-end testing and people are able to do it without a human interaction. And if things do go wrong, yeah, you can revert back with very simple click of a button. So I often I often consider, you know, um, the longer you hold off on building out something like that, like it sounds like a, a great experience, the longer you hold off on having that, um, the harder it is to sort of uh, tweak your your organization into buying into that and and to do that. Um, did you start out like that? Uh, no, we did not. Absolutely. And and again, I give full credit to our leadership team. Um, and yes, there are non tech people who are leaders who helped us actually be uh, empowered to go and build these experiences and make sure that the developer experience is paramount because they recognize that that's where the bottlenecks happen. And they recognize that that this is where, you know, relying on the old school of thinking of just hire more people and hire somebody to press the button, right? And make the release management happen. Uh, They recognize that doesn't scale. And that's not how you build an organization to scale. And again, they recognize that from looking at the examples out there and and learning from others and and adopting those, those lessons into the world that they live in. Um, so yeah, the, we did not start out like that. Uh, in fact, we started out in a little bit of a chaos world where in order to be successful and kind of transitioning from some of the old world, we had to go and let every team do their own thing. And we actually ended up with a world where you have like a little bit of Ruby here, a little bit of Java there, a little bit of PHP here, and then it's all over the place. It wasn't consistent and it wasn't uh, on purpose that they said, no, there's a best fit for Java and there's a best fit for PHP and other languages. It was just because every team needed to go and build things and build them fast, they just went with the kind of technology that they're familiar with, which is fine because we went into this fully realizing that this is going to be a, an experiment and we're going to see what this is going to lead to. So within a year or two, uh, at the end of it, we had a big picture of, okay, here's what worked, here's what didn't work. 
here's the kind of examples of the teams and the cadences that they followed that actually made them successful versus here's a team that kind of got too stuck in the weeds or too caught up in the kind of process or tooling that they're faced with and weren't as successful. So we took these lessons and we ended up kind of standardizing around the what we are calling now the digital platform, which is, you know, just very simply and for, you know, the developer developer audience listening to this is just the standards of technologies that we're going to be using. And it shouldn't be a surprise to look at things like, yeah, we're going to use Node.js as our foundation for our technology choices. We're going to build APIs first. We're going to build experiences in a modular fashion. Uh, we're going to rely on orchestration technology that enable, enable us to do automation. Things like dockerizing everything, using Kubernetes for our infrastructure, uh, and building a CI/CD pipeline, right? Like all these things are obvious when I say them out loud, but I realize some people may be too stuck in the weeds to even think outside of their context. And especially for us, when we first started this, we didn't even know where we were going to end up with, uh, but we kind of had a vague idea, right? We knew that there's going to be automation. We knew there's going to be virtualization. We knew all these technologies are out there and we're going to adopt them. We just had to figure out the best way for us to do it. Are you doing some sort of uh, monitoring of the processes that get sort of ideas uh, into production and, uh, and, and, anything to to improve upon that uh, over time absolutely so like going back to the operational model that we're in we have you know the squads the tribes the guilds and each one of those uh, we actually try to actively measure right so we measure for example at the squad level we measure the outcome of the squad right they're building the products and the projects and the services that they're building so we want to measure those right uh, and then we also when we have the guild level when you talk about the developer guild the testing guild the design guild and so on scrum master guild etc cetera, etc cetera, there's a lot of guilds uh, each one of those guilds also have some measure and some metrics that we want to actually look at and see like are we actually having a healthy design ecosystem here? Are we doing a good experience around the developer experience? Like we try to measure those things at a guild level. And then as a tribe level as well, we're going to make sure because the tribes are mostly aligned to the business kind of outcomes, right? Like you have, again, this is the telco kind of uh, terminology, but you have like home solutions tribe. You have, you know, the uh, wireline tribe, the wireless tribe, right? mobility and so on. Looking at like from a business alignment point of view, what does that mean? Because uh, there's a lot of journeys that are some some of them are cross cutting. Some of them are you know very specific to something like mobility and you know launching the iPhone, for example. That was an activity we just did recently. Um, so there's alignment on that, and there's metrics around that, right? So when we talk about okay, there's there's a whole bunch of people, humans in an organization that are tasked around something like launching an iPhone product, right? Uh, you're gonna have some metrics on that, but then. Cross-cutting cross all these metrics, you're going to look at your toolings, your process, your automation, and you're going to have metrics around that. How fast are people pushing things into production? How fast are people able to make changes? Uh, you know, uh, how fragile some of the changes are or how stable they are, depending on where you look at it. Uh, so everything is tracked and everything is measured. We're now in the process of like visualizing those into better dashboards, uh, but we do have these facts and we do have these numbers. So like just to give you a quick metric, uh, we push things to production across the entire team about 300 times a day and that's not people going in every day and pushing things you know from end to end 300 times a day that means they've been working on something for the past two days like and it's a it says things are happening in parallel right so every squad have been working on things perhaps for a week or a day a couple of months whoever uh, but the outcome is everybody's working in tandem and everywhere everybody's working in parallel and now you have that production level of yeah things are changing about 300 times a day the software is being updated technology is being released new new products are being out there uh, every day 
I don't know if that's like a good uh, one-to-one mapping, but I did notice you said about 300 times a day and about 300 people on the team. I wonder if that's <laughs> no, something uh, to strive for. No, I think that 300 is by last count, which was about a month ago. I haven't actually looked at the, the metric recently. I think we're beyond that now. So one last question regarding that. Um, as an organization or perhaps on, on any of those scales, that whether it be uh, as a tribe, as a squad, as a guild, um, how, do you, how do you decide what value is or what good looks like? That's a very good question. Um, I think ultimately there's like, and I remind, I remind people of this is like, there's a good grounding aspect in what we do. Uh, considering that, yes, we are a telecommunication business, right? We know what the business is. We know what we do and we know what we're supposed to be, you know, helping the business achieve. Uh, so there's that. So we can set up metrics and KPIs around how successful we are in the business world. Uh, but, you know, and this is, again, this is not just our team, but tell us the company. We have a big thing in our culture uh, of we give where we live. And if you've never heard about this before, but Telus is one of the biggest philanthropic companies in the world. And we invest a lot of our humans and dollars into communities and initiatives around the world and in our own backyard of, you know, Telus wants to give back, right? So I'm not saying that because I work there and I'm actually, you know, pleasantly surprised that I work for a big corporate overload that has that kind of foundation into them. So that's great. So, but what, what that translates to within the digital team, uh, the team that I'm on, is that we actually want to give back to the community that we're part of, which is the technology community, in some cases, the open source community. So, like, we're actually very heavy on open sourcing our stuff, open sourcing our technology, contributing back to the libraries and tools that we rely on, because we see that as giving back, uh, as well as actually getting involved in the physical communities. So, we actually help out with uh, a lot of these kind of learn-to-code programs and code schools. Uh, obviously, we collaborate a lot with local communities and hopefully with YVR Dev at some point as well, uh, because we see the value in that. And the value in that is not just like, hey, we're hiring, put up our logo on your community meetup or something. It's like, no, 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 we want to learn from you and from the uh, industry how to make our practice better. And perhaps in some cases, we share back some of those learnings to help you and whatever it is you're working on in your company, in your business. Ahmed Nasri, uh, I guess, founder of Tech Masters and Principal Architect of TELUS Digital. Thank you very much for being on this episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.